Father, we just come before you this morning and we thank you that we can come in your house. And God, that we can declare that you are worthy of every breath that we can breathe. God, you're the one who gave us the breath in our lungs this morning and we just want to come and we want to give that back to you. We want to say you're worthy. We thank you for this time together in worship. We pray that you'd be honored. You were honored through the words that we sang and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as we continue in worship through hearing your word. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. We 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Lee. We once were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. Amen. If you are interested in the trip to the Holy Land, we are scheduled to leave the day after Thanksgiving and spend about 10 days in travel. And if you want to there's about three or four places that I can guarantee you that we will stand exactly where Jesus stood. The rest of it is close. But there's three or four places that, man, Jesus stood here. And you can, you can see it, you can feel it, you can experience it. And then uh, I can't think of a better thing to do for your spiritual growth than to go to the Holy Land. It changes your Bible reading to go to some of those places where things happen just, just helps you to, to really get an idea. The layout of the land, the geography, and the people is very, very interesting. So if you want to meet with us and just ask questions and just get some information, we'll meet after church today. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Where would we, where would we be without grace? Ephesians chapter 2. We are going for the next several weeks, we are going to have a song, and then we're going to use it as our springboard into the scriptures. And today we, have, of course, have grace, amazing grace. A lot of places in the Bible we could have chosen to use as our scripture for today, but uh, feel led to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Beginning of verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For, verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Without grace, where would we be? A good definition of grace is G-R-A-C-E, 
God's riches at Christ's expense. And so grace is applied for us. God is energized in us when we recognize what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we confess Jesus Lord and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, we will be saved. Confessing and believing. Confessing that Jesus Lord and believing in our heart that God raised from the dead. So we're confessing and believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the anointed one, that Jesus was the one that was sent to be the final sacrifice and pay the price of our sin. Grace is then ignited in us. And grace is just not out there for others to enjoy and others to experience, but grace becomes very personal to us and grace makes a difference. In verses one through three, I think that what Paul lays out for us here is something that's really important for us. Grace is magnified when we see the bad news. We have good news. The gospel is good news. Over and over and over, Paul talks about that. I, ha- I am here to give you good news. And it's the good news of, the, of what the truth about Jesus and what he did for us about who he is. But the good news... The grace is magnified when we understand how we were before grace and how we were before the good news became a reality in our lives. He says in verse 1, once, this is the way you were. This is how life is. This is how life is for all unbelievers. And this is how you were before you came to Christ. You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And and the scriptures teach us and show us that being outside of Christ, before Christ, before we have believed in him, before we have confessed that Jesus is Lord, we are spiritually dead. And it's a very good image for us. It's a good understanding for us to have. And, And if you have ever witnessed someone take their last breath, you have an understanding of, of what this looks like. And so when someone takes your last breath, there, there's no question that life is gone. And, and that's the way we were before Jesus. We were spiritually dead. There was no life. There was no hope. There was no peace. There was restlessness. There was uncertainty. There was strife. There, there was just this, this feeling that something is just not right in our life, in our soul. And that is because of our sins, because of our disobedience, we are spiritually dead. So we were spiritually dead. And when we remember how we were, and now that we are born again, believing in Christ, we have confessed, we, have, we are no longer spiritually dead, but we are spiritually alive Grace just changes our idea of life. It gives us hope. It gives us happiness. It gives us joy. It gives us, it gives us the understanding that all is good. You remember Paul had the mindset, good or better. And so you'd ask him, how are things going? And, and he would answer from a prison cell. He would answer from being sick. He would answer from being hunted down, tortured. And you would say, how you doing, Paul? How's things going? And he would never say lousy. He would never say it's no good. He would say, I rejoice, good or better. 
And you remember in Philippians, we studied that, that he said, when you didn't give and you didn't help the ministry, things were good. God was in control. Things were rolling. But how much better it is that you are now participating in giving. And so Paul understood that the ministry had more resources when people gave, and so things were better, but things were never bad. Things were never lousy. Things, things for Paul were, were never, you know, no hope, no possibilities, no opportunities was gone. He, he saw when he was born again, he saw that he was never, ever outnumbered. And so Paul is saying to us, it's a good idea for you to keep in mind how things were before Jesus. It elevates, it helps us understand what grace is all about. You used to live in sin. You used to live in sin. That used to be your life. Matter of fact, not only did you live in sin, but you had no ability to live differently than living in sin. He says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. That's why fitting in with the world is never a good idea for a believer. And fitting in with the rest of the world and thinking like everyone else and living like everyone else is always going to take you down the wrong path. Because the rest of the world, most people, and Jesus clearly says in his word that most people will not believe in him. Most people will not be the recipients of his grace. And so we can't go with everyone else. We can't be like everybody else. And he said, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. And here's what's going on. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And so they were a slave to sin. We were a slave to our sin. And we were pleasing the, the leader of this world, the commander of the unseen world, the devil, our enemy. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And th this is by their nature. That's what it means to be under sin. That's what it means, that by our nature, we live according to fulfilling our passionate desires and inclinations. All of us used to live that way. All of us used to live that way. There was no hope for us. We were slaves to sin. We were spiritually dead following the past desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now, man, there's nothing better than remembering and understanding that before Jesus, you were the target of God's wrath. I was the target of God's wrath. Before Jesus, in my sin, following the passions of my own inclinations, that I would just set up, that I was going to just live any old way I wanted to because no one was going to tell me what to do. And when I had that going on, then I found myself unable to live differently. And I lived like everyone else. No hope no possibilities, no way of ever fulfilling any desire to be right with God. I was dead. And I deserved judgment. Before Christ, you deserved judgment. You deserved judgment. 
And so that's what grace has done. We were dead. We were following the desires of our own sinful nature. We were in a bad way. We were just absolutely, absolutely unable to live free. Y'all stay with me now. I know something's going on, but our guys are taking care of it. All right? This is too good to miss. It's going to be all right. We've got it all controlled, okay? Stay with me. Now, everyone in this world who are dead in their sin, everyone in this world who are dead in their sin are going to experience God's judgment. Not too long ago, a guy said to me, he said, Now, preacher, let me ask something. Do you really believe, do you really believe that people who do not receive Christ, who do not place your faith in Christ like you say we need to, do you really believe they will be judged? I answered, I most certainly do. Now, are you asking me, am I happy about it? No, I'm not happy about it. Are you asking me, do I enjoy the fact that people outside of Christ are going to spend an eternity without Christ and they are going to spend eternity in what the Scripture says to us and what Jesus said to us is hell? Do, do, do you understand that? Do you understand that? I'm not happy about that. I have no joy about that. And I want you to know that before Christ, that was my destiny as well. And everyone outside of Christ, it's their destiny because they are spiritually dead. But it's the truth. It's what the Scripture has said to us. Now, on the flip side of that, now can you understand, sir, why I want you so desperately to believe in Jesus? And so when I talk to you about faith in Christ and I talk to you about believing in him and confessing that Jesus is Lord, you understand it's from love. It's from a heart for you because I was just like you. I did not believe in Christ. I have not confessed Christ. I did not understand. And it didn't matter that I didn't understand. It didn't matter that I never had an opportunity. It didn't matter that I had some reasons that I could explain why I was outside of faith. But the Bible clearly says that outside of faith in Christ, without confessing that Jesus is the Lord and believing in our heart that God raised from the dead, there is nothing but bad news. And now for us believers, when we remember the fact that we were going to be judged, we were condemned already because of our unbelief, and we understand that, and we've got it going on, then do you see that when we understand that, that our confession and our belief in Jesus, we now are the recipients of grace, it ought to change everything for us changes everything and now this fellow believes and he still believes today that God is unfair that there can't be God in this world he can't be a God that's all love if he allows judgment and hell to exist and he was in no shape to be able to understand the character of God or the holiness of God and that God will know by no means clear the sin of the guilty but through faith, we understand that God's grace is magnified when we realize how things were.
how things were for you. Before Christ, you were spiritually dead. Before Christ, I was spiritually dead. We were slaves to our sin. We were loyal to Satan. We were loyal to Satan. We were like everyone else. And so people outside of Christ are loyal to Satan. They're loyal to Satan. And then he says in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, there's a wonderful, wonderful word here, the beginning of verse 4. And so he just got through telling us how things were. And then he begins in verse 4 saying, but God, but God. Things were bad. It was all bad news. There was no hope. There was no light at the end of the tunnel, but God, but God. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So we're in a bad spot before Christ, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he raised us to life when he raised Christ from the dead. And he says in verse 5, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Only by God's grace have we been saved. That's a good thing to have understanding about. It is only by God's grace that any of us have been saved. Now, I think Billy Graham, probably a pretty good old boy, right? But Billy Graham, it was by God's grace that he was saved. I think Brother Yun in China, no question, an unbelievably moral and high standard man for what I've read about. Tremendous conviction to love God with all his heart. Just an unbelievable passion. He has experienced torture and heartache like no one other than people like Paul. I mean, the man has been absolutely treated un unjustly and, and, and just, just left for dead. And there's nobody that has more commitment and there's nobody that, that radiates the presence of the Lord more than that fella. But I'm here to tell you, Brother Young, only by God's grace was he saved. He was spiritually dead in his sin. Billy Graham was spiritually dead in his sin before he came to know Christ as a teenager. And it's only by God's grace that any of us have ever been saved or are saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ, so we can point to, so he can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God's character. God is rich in mercy. God has great love for us. God is the giver of of life God desires for us to be raised up with the resurrection power grace is possible because of love 
Grace is possible because of mercy. Salvation begins with love. Every view that we would have of God must be seen through the lens of love. And so you have bad news, but you have unbelieving, unbelievable good news. God's love. That's what we have. God's love was the foundation of the gift of Jesus for our salvation. And it's a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. He just provides it for us. Grace. And then in verses 8 and 9, you probably have memorized this through the years. You've heard it many times. It's probably one of the most quoted scriptures that we have in the New Testament. Listen to this. For by grace you have been saved by faith. God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. When you believed, God saved you. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Now, this scripture right here and other scriptures like this, but certainly this one, for me, points to the fact that the Bible really is God's word, that the Bible is not, uh, you know, man's idea. Because if man put the Bible together and if the story of God was the creation of man, some smart fella somewhere in a cave or a bunch of smart fellas that just added along the way to the different histories of time. And they took their concept of who God is and they put it into these 66 books that we have. If that was the case, there's no way in the world that man would not be able to take any credit for his salvation. Because man, by his nature, is going to fulfill the spirit, I mean, the, the pleasures of his flesh and his, his desires and his own inclinations. Man is going to elevate himself. Isn't that what man does? Man can't say he's wrong. Man has got to say, look what I've done. Look how I did it. No one's more, more valuable than I am. Look what I add to the mix. This is my creation. I deserve the Oscar. I deserve the reward. I deserve the praise. That's man. That's our struggle in this world today. That's what we see all the time. But listen to this. Salvation is made possible by a gift, a gift from God that's a result of his love and his grace. And oh, by the way, there's nothing in you that you have done that you can take credit for it. You just can't take credit for it. It's all the work of God. What do we do? We believe. And the wild thing is, we can't believe without the Holy Spirit's work. None of us can believe without the Holy Spirit. You may think that when you were 10 years old, you believed and it was your choice. But in reality, it was your choice and it was his choice for you to choose him and all those kind of things. But you know what? The belief that you believed with when you were saved, he gave to you. So you really can't take credit for your salvation. I can't take credit for my salvation. 
It's not my efforts. It's not my achievements. It's not my work. It's what God has done for me. It's grace. It's complete, absolute, total grace. For by grace you've been saved by faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. You can't boast about it. You can't be proud about your salvation. And you know what a good definition of religion is? Being proud about your salvation. I am this. I am that. I have done this. This is what I've done. I've been baptized. I've been enrolled. I grew up. All my kinfolks are Christian. All my people are this. All my people are that. Look what I've done. I, I, I'm a teacher. I'm a deacon. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor. I'm a song leader. Look what all I've done. I am moral. I go to church once or twice a week. I've done this. I give money. I give my time. I give my effort. This is what all I've done. All of that, all of that, according to the word, are filthy rags. To God. No one is saved apart from grace. None of us. There's, we can't boast about it. And not only can we not boast about our salvation, but we are his masterpiece. And the things that perhaps we might be able to boast about, the good things that we do, look what verse 10 says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we can't even take credit for the good things we do. We can't even take credit for it. When you go to bed at night, you can't sit back and say, boy, I was sure a fine Christian today. <laughs> How, how were you a fine Christian? Did you do good things today? Well, yeah, I did good things today. Okay. So where did that ability come from? It came from me being God's masterpiece. And so I can't even, I can't even boast in my good works. You can't boast in your good works. It's all made possible by God. Now, a couple lessons here that I want to leave with you before we complete our message today. Number one. Since the scripture teaches us this, that we were dead in our sin, it was our heart's desire to please our sinful flesh. We were slaves to the ruler of this world, Satan. We disobeyed God and we obeyed him. We obeyed our flesh. We lived to please ourselves. We were absolutely headed for judgment of God. Since the scripture tells us this, and since the scripture tells us, but God is rich in mercy, that God loved us so much, that when Jesus came and was resurrected from the dead, we too were resurrected, and the possibility of a resurrected life happened, that life is breathed into the dead corpse. Life is breathed, and that body comes alive, and that's salvation. It's all by grace. None of us are saved through good works. None of us are able to boast in our salvation. It's, it's all by grace. So here's a lesson for us. Help us get along in this world. We do not have the right. We do not have the right, nor is it right, nor is it practical, nor is it wise for us to expect those who are dead in their sin 
to act like they're alive and spiritually alive in Christ. We can't expect those who are dead in their sin to act like Jesus. We can't, accept, we can't expect them to, to value our values. We can't expect them to honor our Lord. We can't expect them to understand how important the Ten Commandments are. We can't expect them to think a certain way. We can't expect them to have a good heart because they don't have a good heart. We didn't have a good heart, and they don't have a good heart. And when believers, when people who are under grace, who have confessed Jesus Lord and believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead, when we've been born again, we were spiritually led, and now we're alive, when we expect the dead in sin, people to act like they are alive spiritually, it's one of the absolute worst things we could ever do to anyone. It is like heaping weights of concrete on their shoulders and expecting people to live a certain way when it's absolutely impossible for them to live that way because they haven't been touched by the grace they haven't been born again. They haven't come alive spiritually. And they, they, they may have enough morality to make a living. They may have enough morality to, to conform to expectations. And, and they may even have enough morality and adjustments to socially that they can even be converted into the religion that they perhaps have chosen for themselves. But they haven't born, been born again. They can sit in the pew and be absolutely spiritually dead. And when we heap morality on them without the good news, it's a horrible thing to do to somebody. Horrible thing to do to somebody. So when we preach morality without the good news, when we preach what people ought to do and what ought not to do without the good news, it's a horrible thing that we inflict on people. So that's why we should share the good news. The good news is the only opportunity for people to come spiritually alive, to be born again, to, to come alive spiritually and have an opportunity to have their heart changed and to come alive and have the Holy Spirit just explode in them is the good news about Jesus. And I think that we can see clearly that conflict between spiritually dead and spiritually alive when nothing but rules and regulations are presented in people who are apart from Christ, they are absolutely so frustrated with the Ten Commandments and the rules that we hold them accountable to because they can't do it. Now, it's just like this. So in order for me to be to be right with God, I've got it in a 10 flat 100 yard dash. <laughs> Ooh. I've got to run a 10 flat 100 yard dash to be right with God. I can start training, but you know what? When I was in the best shape of my life and I was fast, and I, I ran a 4,940. Boy, that's fast for an old boy like me. I don't care if I weighed 125 pounds. I don't care if I had the best nutritional advice. I don't care 
if, if I had the best track coach in the world, this body, this guy, will never, ever be able to run a 10-flat, 100-yard dash. It ain't happening. And you know what? When I look around a room, I don't see anybody in here could do it either. Some of you guys back there, oh, gosh, no, you couldn't. You couldn't do it. Ten flat, 100-yard dash. Ten flat. Can't do it. I mean, am I going to get out there and try? No. Am I going to follow the nutritional advice of the nutritionist? No. I'm just going to just admit that I have no chance of being right with God. I can't be right with God because I can't run a 10 flat 100. It's not going to happen. Without the gospel, that's people without Christ. Without the gospel, they have no chance of being right with God. And it's a horrible thing when those who know where the water is in the desert and not tell other people where the water is. That's the sin of the desert. And so for us to enjoy our grace, we must be compelled to share with other people how we are saved, how we get to experience grace. He is rich in mercy. He loved us so much. He gave us his son. If we believe in him, if we confess that Jesus is the Lord and believe in the heart that God raised from the dead, we shall be saved. It's not through their works because he can't boast about it. It's not through anybody's works. It wasn't through our works and it's not through their works either. They don't have to become something to, for God to love them, for them to be right with God. They just have to believe like we had to believe. And it's by grace you've been saved through faith, through believing. And we ought to have under grace an understanding that we are celebrating our grace and we ought to be compelled to help other people celebrate their grace, their opportunity for grace. And so we go from being critical, we go from being cynical, we go from being judgmental to go to being full of mercy and, and, and love and compassion and good news-oriented people. Good news-oriented people. Not too long ago, well, years ago now, it's the first time I've done it. I've done it a lot of times since then. And this uh, dad come to see me. And this dad was just sideways with his teenage daughter because his teenage daughter wanted to date this old boy and the dad didn't want to date this boy. Well, this boy, he didn't live for God. He didn't believe in God. He wanted nothing to do with that. And, and there was just real friction going on in the home. I said, well, tell me some of your conversations with your daughter about this. Well, if she's going to go out with him, she's got to be in a group. I said, well, that's a good idea anyway. If she's going to go out with this guy, they got to be home at 10. If they're going to watch a movie, they're going to do it at the house. Da, da, da. They had all these rules all made up and everything like that. And so I'm going, that's good. Okay, so you're, you're going to try to snuff all the fun out of this dating relationship, aren't you? Well, of course he's going to. Well, yeah, I'm going to control it. Well, good. All right. Have you sat down with this fella and explained to him the good news about Jesus? Now, this fella said, no, I have not, and I'm not going to. He ought to know better. He ought to know better. Oh, man, I went, ah, I'm, I'm fixing to just nail you so good. 
And I did, boy. I did. And I said, if you are going to stay in that frame of mind, you need to lock your daughter up because you're in a bad spot because she's got affections for this boy that you believe is no good for her, and he, and he may be no good, and, and there's not a chance of him ever being good for your daughter with your approach. It's impossible. It's impossible. And so... We had a good conversation about that. And you know what? He did go share the gospel with him. And it began a relationship. And, and later on, that boy was saved, and he found another girl. Everybody won. <laughs> Everybody won. It's a great deal. But you can get out your shotgun, Dad. You can get out your pistol. You can do this and the other. You can lay down the law. But until you share the gospel, there's no hope of change. And there's no hope of people's change out there in this world until they get the gospel. And for us to go through life enjoying grace and enjoying that we were, but now we are in Christ, that we are now a spiritual life, and, and without a, just an absolute craving to share that I don't think we fully understand how wonderful and how amazing grace is. So when I read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the grace jumps off the page, and the grace says to me, I should live the grace, and I should celebrate the grace that I have. But just like Paul, an absolute burning desire for other people to get to experience how wonderful and how amazing the grace is. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Man, we are under grace. We get to live like we're under grace. We are not condemned. We get to live like we're never, ever condemned. We are absolutely right with God, and it's as if we've never been wrong with God. That's grace. He took away our sin. He threw our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's grace. That's grace. And our response to grace is love. Love. We're not going to hold on to the good news of how we got our grace. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll speak to our heart and may we respond according to your words. Thank you, Father, that we are not like we used to be. Help us, Lord, to see the love you have for us and the grace that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Ushers, come forward and let's sing.